so good to see you and to know that we are pastor coming out and and uh, we're, we're on the other side and I just thank the Lord for the victory that the Lord is giving us. I know the challenges are still real. We're not putting our head in the sand and acting like it's not there, but yet we know God is on our side and we're confident of that and I'm so thankful for it. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord and it's always a special privilege to be with people that you love and people that you have relationship with. And Don and I have been friends with your pastor and his wife for a long time now. I believe I met Rob and Donna when they were, uh, they were young in ministry as, as staff members at the Hearst Church of God in Texas. And uh, I was a kid preacher. I hadn't even gotten married yet. So uh, that, that, that's been a long time ago. Uh, we were, my goodness, that, that's, uh, we were probably eight or nine years old back then, I guess. It, it, Yeah, and then Pastor Rob and I were able to serve together for many years as state youth directors, and I know that that's a stretch for you to believe, that we were actually youth directors at one time in the Church of God, but we were, and I love and appreciate this couple so very much, and thank the Lord for their life, and for their ministry, and for the impact that they've had in the kingdom. I know they've served you here now for some time, and you're very blessed to have them as your leaders and as your pastor, and I thank God for them. Amen. Amen. Those years that I served as a state youth director, and, and, uh, and I know that Pastor Rob did the same thing, there were, uh, I spent a lot of time training and working with leaders in churches and uh, doing my best to pour into people that do ministry every week. And as a result of that, the Lord kind of burdened my heart for a study that I put together just uh, actually just before the pandemic to show you how, uh, how I do business. I, I produced a book to be uh, introduced right during the pandemic. You know, that, that's a real smart move to make, but that, that's exactly what happened. But, but this study is designed for people who do ministry. People in the local church that just are involved in doing the work of the Lord, whether you're a greeter or an usher or a teacher or a board member or you serve on the worship team or whatever you do for the Lord in the church, you are a leader and the hand of the Lord is upon you and you need His hand upon you to do the job that you're called to do. And this book is designed to be a study for you and to be a help for you. I brought a few copies with me today. As someone said, I have a limited supply. And if I run out of that limited supply, I've got another limited supply in the car. So I do believe that we can cover your need today. But if you'll just see Donna after church, it's called Fire Up Leadership Principles to Guide Local Church Leaders. And it's, it's for you. And I believe that you'll be blessed by it and, and trust that you will. I want to ask you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read one verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 9 and then go to Galatians 5. And so you can go ahead and turn there as well. I think they'll probably put it on the screen. Uh, you don't even have to turn in your Bible anymore, but, but you might want to do that. It's still good to keep in practice. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, listen to the word. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you will win the prize. Galatians 5 and 7 says, You ran well. Who hindered you? from obeying the truth. You started good, you ran well for a while, but something happened. What hindered you from finishing the race? Let's just ask the Lord to speak to us today and to use these verses as kind of a launching pad on the church that just won't die. Father, I love you and I rejoice in your presence today. I'm so thankful that you know my name, and I'm so thankful that you love me, and I'm so thankful that you're with me, even in my storm and in that darkest place of my life. I've been reminded of that fact today, and I rejoice today to know that you do care for us and that we are your children. 
Father, you love us so much that you meet with us when we come together and you minister to us and you speak to us from your word. I'm asking you to do that again today. I pray that this will be a time that we will indeed hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I'm asking today in the name of the Lord that our hearts be stirred, that our spirits be edified, and that we be drawn close to you, that this service will be to your glory, and that it will do us a lot of good. Let it happen today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, every organization doesn't have to be a church. It can be a business. It can be just a civic group. But, but when it starts, it usually starts with two things, passion and purpose. There's usually a clear understanding in the beginning of the purpose of that organization. But not only that, there's usually strong passion. There's people that believe in what they're doing. And they're willing to make sacrifices and work hard in order to see what they're trying to start, get off the ground and go forward. Those involved in the beginning of that organization usually understand the purpose. They can tell you what the purpose of that organization is. And they indeed have a strong zeal and passion for it. As time goes on, others will come along and join that group and you hope that they too share in the understanding of the group and they also share in the passion. But yet you can't assume that because it's not always the case. You see, there will eventually come a time when that founding generation will die when they will cease to be able to function in their role and somebody else will step forward into leadership and it's at that moment for sure that you're trusting that that next group will understand what's the purpose and that they too will share in the passion of that organization. There there are instances and examples in business of times that that did not happen. There's a a great business, a great organization, a, a, a store, a retail organization that served this country for many, many years, the J.C. Penney's Company. It was founded in 1902 by James Cash Penney. Mr. Penney was the son of a minister and he himself became a strong believer in the Lord Jesus. He, uh, he worked for a company called the Golden Rule Company. And he began to manage some of their stores. The Golden Rule Company decided that they wanted to expand. And so they sent Mr. Penny to Wyoming to open some Golden Rule stores there in that region. While he's there, Mr. Penny got the idea that if he was going to make money for others, it would be all right if he made it for himself. And so he opened his own store and started his own organization. And so J.C. Penney's was born right there. With $2,000, he started his own company that would one day become a a company of over 2,000 stores across the world. 2,053 stores at their peak time was J.C. Penney's. But yet in May of 2020, J.C. Penney's filed for bankruptcy. They filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This company that was started with such good motives and good plans and good purpose and real passion, yet they reach a point in time after Mr. Penny died that this company had to file bankruptcy. What happened to that? You, you think about the times. You say the economy was bad. Well, this company had come through the Great Depression. That you, you, you can say that, that things were really tough on them. Well, they had come through World War One and Number Two and the Korean War and so many other conflicts in the world. They overcame all of those, but yet somehow, for some reason, they come to a point in time that they cannot make it and they have to file for bankruptcy. I would dare say 
that if you really wanted to get serious and look at the situation, you could say somewhere along the way they lost their passion and the purpose for the organization was not clearly understood. Another organization in the United States, the Boy Scouts of America, started, they were founded in 1910. At one time, it was considered the largest youth organization in the United States. Throughout its history, over 110 million boys and men participated. In 1973 alone, there were 4 million boys involved in this great organization who had as its core patriotism, courage, self-reliance, and kindred values. But in February of 2020, BSA filed for bankruptcy. We know the problems that this organization had, but a group that started with passion and purpose comes to a point in time that they cease to exist. This example can be given over and over again in business. You know of other examples of groups that started well but for whatever reason they weren't able to maintain and they died. I dare say you can look around your own city and begin to recall organizations and businesses that were a part of your group growing up years, but they're not found anymore. It's because they lost their purpose and they lost their passion. That's why they're not around. You see, starting well is no guarantee of finishing well. The scriptures that I read to you today said everybody that starts in a race, they all start to win, but only one wins the prize. Run that you will win. And then he said there are those that started well but something hindered them that they could not finish and that they did not obey the truth. You see these organizations that I've discussed are, are real. It's not a figment of imagination. They failed to pass on the purpose and they failed to carry on the passion. But the reality is today the church also finds itself in a very precarious and difficult place. For right now we find ourselves in probably some of the most challenging times that we've ever been in. Now I know we have faced some tough times before. I understand that we've had some battles in the past but I just think if you look around the church in America today is probably at its most difficult Juncture. We are in a hard place. We're in a place today where the culture is unfriendly toward us. There was a day, there was a time that the church was prized and the church was valued. There was a time that even the culture recognized the importance of the church, but you know how that's changed. I grew up in a time, and I know it's a long time ago, but I remember even in school, I remember remember how important the church was they weren't in competition they recognized that they worked together to raise me and to build me and develop me I even remember that you would never ever think about having homework on Wednesday night because they knew you went to church on Wednesday night and I even remember having conversations with teachers before our church is in revival this week and they would ease up and let up and the homework would be less that week because church was important. You go, you, you, you would never have a, a little league ball game on Sunday. You, you would never have practice on Wednesday night because church was priority and church was important. But you know it's not that way now. You understand today that church has got to elbow and work its way in to try to find its place in the culture because it's unfriendly toward the church. Government has become unfriendly toward the church. There was a time and there was a place that, that government understood the value of the church. But today it seems that even on that front the church has to struggle and fight to maintain its position. You know there was a time that, that religious freedom was, was just understood and you didn't even have to question it. But did you notice even in the last presidential election... 
that religious freedom was one of the tenets and ideas that was being discussed, there was a day that wouldn't have been necessary because everybody understood religious freedom was valuable in the United States, but not so today. But then you tack on to the unfriendly culture and the unfriendly government, things like the economy and COVID that has taken a hit on the church. And we find ourselves in some very rough waters and some very difficult places. And I'm not here today to be a naysayer or a negative person, but I'll just go ahead and tell you I don't think that's going to ease up. I I, I just kind of think we're going to continue to find that the waters are hot and things are rough against the church. We are in that climate. And because of that today, we've got to understand that we have an enemy and we have that one who seeks our destruction and we cannot put our head in the sand and we cannot pretend that everything is going to be alright. No, we are in the fight of our lives. But I've just got to stop for a moment before I get any more negative and tell you in spite of how hot it gets and how bad it becomes, there will be a remnant that will overcome and a church that will survive. For the words ring loud in my mind today. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have that assurance in God's word. Somebody ought to give him some praise in the house today. Hallelujah. I think it would do us well this morning to just think for a moment of of why churches go into decline. Why churches lose their relevance and why many churches really do die. I believe that there are a lot of reasons and I'm not going to be able to talk about everything. But I've got some that are on my mind today that I think we need to hear and we need to guard against. Number one, a church dies when our agenda becomes more important than his agenda. When the agenda of the church and the individual and that body becomes more important than the agenda of the Lord, we are on our way to becoming a dying church. Every one of us in this room today have opinions. We all have agendas. We all have things we want to see done. There are things that we think the church needs to do. It doesn't take us long to get in a discussion about the church that we'll all pop up and say, well, I think this, and here's what I feel, and here's what I think ought to happen. We all have those ideas, but without being ugly or mean to you, could I just tell you that it really does not matter what I think or what I want or what I feel needs to happen. If I'm going to be His church, it's not about pleasing me. It's about pleasing Him. It's not about doing it my way. It's not about having my way. It's not about things happening the way I like for them to go. No, sir. I want to come before Him today and crucify my flesh. And when I crucify my flesh, my desires go with it. And my will and my agenda goes with it. And I'm able to say on that altar of sacrifice, Lord, not my will, but Your will will be done. I want the will of the Lord done in our church. Number two, I believe that we become a dying church when we attempt to do in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. When we take on the responsibility ourselves of doing the work of God. But I just let you in on a clue today. This church right here has a business side. You've got to take care of your business. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to balance your budget. You've got to make sure that the business is handled. But we are not 
a business. I understand that we've got many groups here and we want to minister to everybody and we want to provide fellowship and we want to take care of everyone's social needs. But hear me, we are not a social club. I understand today that we have responsibility to reach people and to be benevolent and to to help people in need and that's a part of what we do but we are not a benevolent agency. No, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are His body and today what we do is of the Spirit. It's not decided on in a business meeting. It's not decided on by majority vote. It's decided when the Spirit speaks. It's decided when we go to God's Word and we find out our marching order. I understand today that that, that we have a a, a real battle with the flesh and I understand that, that that's not to be ignored but yet the fact of the matter is today we are a spiritual body and if we're to be what God's called us to be we must make sure to stoke the spiritual side of the church and it must be ablaze and it must be inflamed and it must grow and it must be strong we cannot do in our flesh what was started in the spirit you see when we do that we become carnal all that carnality is is trying to accomplish in the spirit for something in our flesh trying to do it in the flesh understanding that we are flesh but yet we have to be spirit and we have to do the work of the Lord in the spirit and it cannot be carnal number three we become a dying church when we assume the way it's always been is the way it always has to be. When we assume the way that it used to be and the way that it's always been is the way it always has to be. We're becoming a church on the verge of losing its relevancy. I like consistency. I don't really like change. It's not easy for me to buy into brand new things, but yet today in the church somehow I've got to lift my sail to the wind of the Spirit. Oh, I'm not going to follow every wind of doctrine. I'm not going to follow every bandwagon that comes through town. But I will say, speak Lord, and I will hear you. Speak Lord, and I will obey you. That may require me getting out of my comfort zone. That may require me doing something that I've not done before. But if that's what the Lord is calling for, that's what we will do. We want to follow Him whatever He asks us to do. Number four, I believe we become a dying church when we lose sight of who God has called us to be. And what I mean by that is when we forget our identity, we forget who God has called us to be. One of the worst things that happens in church from time to time is when we hear of God doing other great things other places and touching other people. We feel that we've got to be like them for God to touch us that way. But can I tell you that God's not called this church to be like like any other church. He's not called you to do it like anybody else does it. What He's called you to be is to find your identity and to serve God as He's created you and to be who God has called you to be. I I, I learned this years ago when I was pastoring a church in Texas. A little, little town called Henrietta. There, there were more cows in our county than there were people. I mean, it's just a little ranching community. And we had a strong ministry in that little town. And I remember we had a, a strong ministerial fellowship. And we would get together as the pastors of the various churches and fellowship. And about three times a year, we would get together for worship, meet in each other's churches, and just everybody in town come together. It was always a special time. I remember one Palm Sunday night, the service was going to be at the Church of God. And uh, I was asked to take care of the music. 
And so our choir is going to sing. Somebody else is preaching, and, but, but the church of God is going to do the music. Well, I knew that we would have people from the Methodist and the Baptist and the Christian and all the various churches. And so I said to my, my music director, I said, let's make sure we sing songs everybody knows. Let's make sure we do music that's comfortable for everybody that's going to be there. And so we started working on songs that we never sung. But, but we got them down good, and it sounded good. And I sat there that night, and I listened to that choir sing. I was so proud. They sung those high songs, and, and they did them well, and I was so impressed. Next day, I was downtown, and one of the businessmen walked out of his business and said, Brother Les, come here. I got a bone to pick with you. I said, uh, what is it, Bill? He said, well, my wife and I were at your church last night. To be honest with you, the only reason we came was to hear y'all sing. We know how you sing at the church of God. You sung the same old songs that we sing at our church every Sunday. We left so disappointed. We came down there to hear church of God singing. I said, Bill, I promise you this. Come back next time. It won't happen again. It, you, you know what I found out? They knew who we were. They understood us. We had an identity. And they really wanted us to be who we were. And I got to tell you something. If you think for a moment that you're going to win this community trying to be somebody else, you don't understand your purpose. If you think you got to do it like somebody else, you don't understand your calling. But God has His hand upon you, He has called you, He has anointed you. And it's important that we as a church stand up unashamed of who God has called us to be. And and serve Him in the calling we have. We'll give Him just a little more praise today. Hallelujah. I believe that we become a dying church when we stop believing and practicing what we preach. When our preaching and our activity do not match. When we preach something but it never happens when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit, but we never see any manifestation and we never witness any demonstration. When we talk about divine healing, but nobody ever gets healed. When we talk about people being delivered, but we don't see anybody delivered. I believe today, it's time not just to preach the Word, it's time to practice the Word. It's time for the word to become alive in us I don't want to be guilty today of teaching you something that I do not live and I do not practice but I want my life to match up with my word I want my life to match up with my experience and I want the, the, the children I want the students in your church not just to hear you talk about revival and talk about an outpouring of the Spirit. I want them in this church, in these altars to experience what you're talking about. I don't want to be a dying church that preaches one thing, but it does not happen in the body. I believe those things will cause our church to die. But I believe there's some things that can happen they will cause our church to live. And some things that when they take place, we will be a church that just won't die. Number one, I believe we must commit to being with Jesus. It's got to be priority in our lives to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to get in the presence of Jesus. Every one of us in this room know the difference that that makes in our lives. You can be walking through the worst time of your life, but you just get in His presence, and it just seems like He gives you energy that you didn't even know was there. You, you find strength that, that you just didn't even think you had. 
bad. You feel cleansed and refreshed just by being in his presence. I don't, I don't know about you, but just a moment ago, when, when my dear sister began to sing that song, he knows my name. I just sensed a rush of his presence come over me. And I felt so ministered to and so so energized. I, I, I was in the presence of the Lord. And that's where we are this morning. We're, we're not just in the church. We're, we're not just going through our religious activity. We're in the presence of the Lord. We didn't come here today just for fellowship. I like fellowship. We didn't come here today just out of duty. It's okay if you're feeling that way. But I'm convinced today we came here to be in the presence of the Lord. And oh, it's just like outside. It's just beyond that glass door. There's all kinds of junk and muck and mire that I'll have to get in in a few minutes. But right now, I'm in the presence of the Lord. And He is refreshing me. And He is strengthening me. And I'm saying as a believer and as a church today, we must once again make priority getting in the presence of the Lord. That makes all the difference in the world. There was a time the early church was persecuted and went through great, great storm. I remember one instance. A couple of them were going to the temple to pray. And they see a beggar there at the, at the gate. And that beggar's wanting money. He's wanting some help. They don't have any money to give him. But Peter looks at him and says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I've got, I'll give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, rise up and walk. And the Bible said that man just leaped to his feet and went running and dancing and jumping and praising God into the temple. Well, the authorities heard about it, and they're upset about it. And so they call Peter and John in, and then they're interrogating them. And then they're wanting to intimidate them, and they're wanting to stop what they're doing. But they get together, these, these leaders, and they huddle, and they say, you know, we know these men. They're ignorant and unlearned men. They don't have degrees from the institutions of the, of the, of the community. They, they're, they're not people of prestige and priority. But here's what they did say. But we know they have been with Jesus. That was the key. That was the kicker. They knew that in spite of their lack of education and their lack of prominence in the community, their presence with Jesus had made all the difference in the world. I would that word would get out in Louisville, Kentucky that down there at that church they are in the presence of Jesus. You go down there and you'll find Jesus there. That's the answer to the needs of this age. It's not more money. It's not better legislation. It's not this or that. No. It is the presence of the Lord today that will make all the difference in the world. So as a church we must make priority getting in the presence of the Lord. But number two, not only must we commit to getting in His presence, I believe we must commit to modeling Jesus to this world. This world's got to see Jesus in us. This world has got to see something different about us. Now there was a day that, that we looked different and they would see us and they would point us out. But I think we've really reached a point today, and some of us feel good about it, that we've been able to blend in and nobody even sees who we are and they don't recognize who we are. That's not good. That's not the answer. I'm not suggesting today that we stand out with our dress or that we stand out with our, 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 our personal presence. But what I'm saying is when I walk in a room, I want people to know that I have been with Him. I want people to see Him. I want them to feel Him. And here's how I believe they will do it. They will understand when I model Jesus. And I model Jesus by being a servant. I'm 
model Jesus by being willing to serve him. Pastor, I agree with you. I appreciate you calling me less. I, I, I appreciate the title. I, I'm, I'm working with a young lady on a grant that we're trying to do with ministerial care. And, and she's got this habit of, of calling me these titles. And the other day I said, Kristen, by the way, my name is Les. How about just calling me that? I'm good with that. That'll be all right with me. You see, we've got to a point today that we're so proud of our positions and we're so proud of our titles and we're so proud of our seniority and we're so proud of this and that that that's what we want the world to notice in us. No, I don't want them to see my title. I want them to see a towel in my hand. I want them to see a heart that is willing to bow down and wash feet if that's what it takes to get the job done. Let us be a church today that models Jesus to this community. Let us be a church today that reflects Him everywhere we go. I don't care if you remember my name, but I pray to the good Lord that somebody next week will say, you know, that guy, that guy really didn't know the Lord. That guy really did have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, let us model Him today. Let us be representatives that reflect Him to this world so we will become that, that church that just won't die when we get in His presence and we model Him. But number three, we must commit to what matters most to Him. When you stop thinking about what really matters to the Lord, I think if I took a survey today, there would be some different opinions. What do you think really matters most to God? Well, it's really a no-brainer if you stop and really think about it. Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners, Paul said. Paul said Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to start a church. He didn't come to be the pivotal point of history. He, he didn't come to just turn the tables over. He came to get man and God back together. He came to reunite fallen man and give fallen man access to God. He came to save people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm telling you as a church today that if you are to be a church that just won't die, you've got to once again commit to what matters most to Jesus. It's not Saturday morning breakfast. It's not socials on Tuesday night. It's not a party and it's not a get together and it's not even a feel good experience on Sunday. But it's finding the lost. It's finding somebody bound and it's bringing them to Jesus. That's what really matters most. I'll tell you what will revolutionize our churches when we begin to win people to Jesus. When we begin to find somebody lost. And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck to you. But I'll just ask you a point blank question. When's the last time you won somebody to Jesus? When is the last time you won somebody? I'm not talking about your pastor. I'm not talking about someone that showed up on church on Sunday and, and they came and you prayed with them for a little while in the altar. When's the last time you won somebody to Jesus? Could I just tell you today that that's the call of God that's upon each of our lives today is to find someone that we can be burdened enough for, that we can push our plate back and pray for them, that we'll be so burdened for them that when opportunity is there we go to them and share the good news oh we're not hounding anybody where we're not trying to be a nuisance to anybody but we're asking God to open up the door and to give us an opportunity that we can step in and share Jesus with that guy that we work next to or that family that we live next door to or those parents that we carpool with their children everywhere oh that's the person that God has called you to I think sometimes we fail to understand understand what I call the, the, the importance of the ripe and harvest. Understanding and being sensitive to the ripe and harvest. Every one of us. Every one of us have people in our world that we love who are lost. Every one of us have people in our world that we want to see saved. You're praying for your children. You're praying for your loved ones. You're praying for, for somebody that's very dear to you. But can I just share with you, it just might be it just might be that today they're not ready. It might 
be that today they're not ripe. It might be that today they need a little more time. You keep on praying. You keep on loving. But don't ignore the harvest around you while you focus on a harvest that's not ready. I'm telling you that in Louisville today, there's a harvest that is ready. There are people in your world. There are people that you confront every day of your life that God is dealing with and God is speaking to and they're thinking about it but they don't know but they're not on your radar they're not on your radar because you're focused on an unripe harvest oh don't ignore your children don't ignore the people that you love but ask God let my spiritual antenna rise up and let me recognize when I'm in the presence of somebody that's ripe and ready I have a friend who told me that they were they were downtown in their little city the other day and they were just walking down the, 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 the aisle of the store and God just stopped them and said I need you to talk to that person about the Lord and they did that and guess what right there in that store they prayed for that person and that person received Jesus you say is that possible it's not only possible it'll happen to you this week if you'll give yourself diligently to the Lord and say God I'm going to give myself to what matters most to you I'm going to focus on lost people I'm going to be sensitive to the sinner and I'm going to let you use me Lord I'm going to let you use me to win somebody this week for Jesus and finally this morning I believe that we're a church that just won't die not only when we spend time with Jesus and model him and give ourselves to what matters most but we must commit to connecting people with Jesus this church is called to connect people to Jesus we're the bridge that's what this church is we're the bridge between the world and God and God is using this church to get people from where they are to where God is. We're the connector. But how's that done? It's not done through our programs. It's not even done through our preaching, Pastor. It's, it's, not, it's not done through, through those things that we spend our money on. All of that's important and I'm not meaning to downplay ministry. I believe that everything we do for the Lord matters, but yet sometimes we fail to understand we can do all the X's and O's and get it down to perfection. But if He doesn't touch us, if He doesn't anoint us, if His Spirit is not present, then our efforts are just futile attempts to be religious. It's just religious activity. It's just religious activity. And none of us want to spend our lives just with religious activity. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit touches our preaching, when the Spirit touches our program, when the Spirit touches our effort, all of a sudden that thing becomes more than just us. It becomes becomes God in us it becomes his spirit flowing through us and it's the spirit of God that's what the prophet meant when he said it's not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit saith the Lord I want you to even look at the day of Pentecost and how it all came down you know about the outpouring of the spirit you know about the great revival and the heart the harvest the, the souls that were saved but do you know what happened first what happened first was a manifestation of the Spirit. It was the manifestation of the Spirit that got all that ball rolling that day. It was when there was tongues like fire that came down and settled on those people and they began to speak with other tongues. It was then that the city paid attention. They had been in that room for 10 days and nobody seemed to care. But when the Spirit of God was manifested, everybody in town runs down and 
They want to hear it. They want to see it. They want to find out what's going on. It was the manifestation of the Spirit that got the attention of the people. It was the manifestation of the Spirit that caused them to say to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And it was the manifestation of the Spirit that caused Peter that had denied Jesus a few days earlier to stand up and say, this man that you crucified, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. He preached that day under such an anointing that when he finished preaching, 3,000 people got saved. Do you hear what I'm saying? There was great revival, there was great outpouring, but it all happened as a result of the manifestation of the Spirit. And I am asking God today to touch this church in Louisville, Kentucky, that you'll not just be known as a good church. You'll not just be known as a loving church. You'll not just be known as a friendly church. You'll be known as a spiritual church. A church where the Spirit of God is allowed to work and to move. His Spirit makes all the difference in the world and He connects people to God. You know the fact is you couldn't even have gotten saved had not the Spirit drawn you. It's not going to be swelling words. It's not going to be elaborate programs. It's not going to be all the stuff that we have bells and whistles doing for us. It's going to be the manifestation of the Spirit. And I'm hungry today for the outpouring of the Spirit. There's another passage of Scripture today that I want to end with. It's found right where we started. It's found in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I don't read a little bit more than I read earlier. I read to you earlier about the fact that everybody that runs in a race, run, but only one gets the prize. But let's read the rest of it. Donna, would you help me please? Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified I read that passage and it really kind of makes me a little nervous I, I, I read it and I think whoa 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 here is it possible? Is it possible that, that I run this race and that I get involved in this work and then get to the end and find out I'm disqualified? Well, I remember reading one time where the scripture said on that day there will be those who will say to him Lord, Lord in your name did we not cast out devils and he'll say to them depart from me I don't know you what happens I'll tell you what happens we get so busy doing the stuff we get so busy with all the, as I said earlier, the X's and the O's. Making sure that everything's lined up. Making sure that we got it all ready. Making sure that it looks good. Making sure that it's just like the book said it was supposed to be. But we fail to remember that doesn't really matter to God. What matters to God is that as a church we do more than just programs 
but we commit to what we've heard today. But that only happens when we as believers commit to what we've heard today. I don't want to be a professional shadow boxer. I don't want to be that guy that trains for the Olympics and then gets to the games and I'm disqualified. No, sir. I want to run this race that's set before me diligently. I want to take care of my relationship. I want to make sure I'm clean before God. I want to make sure that I depend on His anointing and not my ability. I want to make sure that it's Him and not me. I want to make sure it's for Him and not for me. I want to make sure that I'm building His name and not working to build my own. I want to make sure that it's His kingdom and not our kingdom. Do you hear what I'm saying today? I want to get to that place that He increases and I decrease. I want to get to that place that that His work is all that matters. That we give ourselves fully and completely not just to Him being my big brother in heaven but I want Him to be Lord of my life. I want Him to reign in my life. I want to make sure when I get to the end I'm not disqualified but I hear him say you were faithful now I reward you. These are difficult days. As we get nearer to the time for Jesus to come and I think we're getting pretty close. You can expect the enemy to turn up the heat. We'll come through this crisis and he'll have another one. We'll we'll, we'll get over this hurdle but then there'll be another one. That's the way it's going to be. If you think for a moment that we're going to be able to just kind of sneak in, you don't really understand the nature of this race. No, sir, we have a real adversary. And that adversary as a roaring lion is going about seeking today whom he may devour. But I believe if I'll keep in mind my purpose, it's all about him. It's all for his glory. It's because he called us. We're here because his hand is upon us. It's Jesus. That's our purpose. Our purpose is Jesus. Get it in your mind. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That is our purpose. And we're not going to lose our passion. We're going to fall in love with him more every day. Every day of our life, we're going to get closer to him. Every day of our life. We're going to see if we can just learn a little bit more. We're going to keep the passion. I'm convinced that even when all hell comes against us, if I clearly understand my purpose and I have a passion for Him, I will be an overcomer. We'll be the church that just won't die. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment?